Good morning, Journey Church. This is very cinematic. Uh, I'm Ryan. The last time I was able to speak with you, I had just graduated uh, seminary. And a couple weeks ago, my wife and I welcomed our fourth child. So, uh, thank you. So, every major life event, you will get me, apparently. So, um, but now that I am done with school, one of the exciting things uh, is that I can read books that I want to. I get to choose them. And I had one series recommended to me that I'd never read before. I don't know. Uh, sorry, I have it here somewhere if you've heard of it. Oh, here it is. Uh, Harry Potter? <laughs> is that one good? I'd never, read, I'd never read that one, but I've heard it was written by a J.K. Rowling. I don't know if I'm saying that correct. Uh, J.K. Rowling. But she, um, I did read that, that that series was actually rejected 12 times by publishers. Uh, she actually, and then went on to sell a half a billion copies. And she actually re, uh, wrote another book recently, a, a mystery book, under a different pen name. And when she was rejected, because I guess the publisher didn't know who she was, they recommended she take a writing class, <laughs> which she could afford with her Scrooge McDuck vault full of money <laughs> from the first series. It's hard, though, right, to think that the best, one of the best-selling series of all time would be rejected by anyone. But she, at the time, was not famous. And publishing is hard, right? She was a, she was a single mom uh, on welfare at the time. So she didn't have money and was experiencing in her life rejection over and over and over and over again. And she's been pretty open about her own discouragements, which, which I appreciate, I think, to encourage other authors uh, to, to step in and, and tell their stories. And like other authors, we also experience discouragement in our lives. So let me ask, what does your faith look like in the face of discouragement? And what should it look like? And how do we build that kind of faith? So this morning, we're going to be in Luke 18. Luke 18. So if you've got your, uh, your Bibles, go ahead and open those to Luke 18, or they'll be on the screen. And to answer those questions, we're going to ask three questions when we come to our text this morning. We're going to ask three simple questions. What's it mean? Why is it true? And so what? What's it mean? Why is it true? So what? We're going to look at those one at a time. So I'm going to read the whole parable. We'll dive in one at a time. What's it mean? Why is it true? And so what? So Luke 18, 1 through 8. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not become discouraged, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect any person. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, and I love how self-aware Jesus makes him, later he said to himself, self, though I don't fear God or respect any person, because this widow is bothering me, I will give her justice. Otherwise, by continually coming, oh, she'll wear me out. And the Lord said, listen to what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will God not bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long for them? I tell you, he will bring justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the first question, what's it mean? Now, at this point, I do have to admit, to confess something to you, uh, I cheated. Uh, I chose, Chad said I could choose any parable that I wanted, and I chose one of the very few parables that tells you right away, what's it mean? <laughs> Others, you have to listen to the question that Jesus has asked and the interplay. He's explaining something. What's the lesson? This one just says it. All right, so go back to verse 1. What does it mean? 
Now, he was telling them a parable to show at all times they ought to pray and not be discouraged. I think this parable means that you should pray at all times and not be discouraged. (laughs) Jesus wants us to do two related things, pray at all times and not get discouraged. So let's dive into those a little bit deeper, just so we don't end the sermon at the five-minute mark. Pray at all times. Now, this is a little different than Paul's encouragement in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. His encouragement there is to pray without ceasing, to pray continually, always be in prayer. One of my favorite old preachers, Spurgeon, put it this way. He he said, uh, uh, this is like a knight who's always got his weapon at the ready. He's walking around, always ready to draw on that. And for the Christian, that weapon is prayer. So it doesn't necessarily mean that literally every moment of every second of every single day should be in prayer. You wouldn't have time to do anything else. That wouldn't be very practical, likely very odd, but we should always be ready to pray. Always be ready to pray. Now in Luke, this is a little bit different. The the encouragement here is to pray continually. That's not the same as praying continuously, though I am aware those words sound the same. I didn't know we'd get an English lesson. I like the other guy better. Just, just stick with me, right? Continually means to pray without ceasing. Continuously means to pray often or at regular intervals. In other words, pray in all situations. So it, it, now Paul says pray without ceasing. Jesus says pray in all situations. If you followed Paul, I suppose you wouldn't have a lot of need for this encouragement. But I think if we're honest, we're sometimes not good at praying unceasingly, at always keeping the weapon of prayer ready. I'm not. Some situations, Jesus knew, we'd be tempted not to pray either lulled into a false sense of security or through the circumstances of life choose to deliberately set down that weapon of prayer. There are some situations. So some of you are are totally fine praying here, but maybe your family's never seen you pray at home. Maybe maybe you can go through the whole workday never even thinking at prayer, thinking about prayer. You can put your phone in the little lockers and check your prayer life there before you walk into the classified space. You can take that with you, the prayer stuff. Not the Bluetooth or the phones, leave those. But, right? Maybe you have a big decision coming up, and you research, and you plan, and you strategize, and you make spreadsheets, and you forget to bring that to God in prayer. For some of you, it might be when you get frustrated. Something happens in your life, some tragedy, minor or major, and, and you just refuse to pray. The good, the good things in life, the bad things in life, both of those can make us insensitive to the reality of God. And this parable is told because God knows that we will be tempted not to pray. And so Jesus tells us, remember to pray in all circumstances. Pray continually. Pray in all situations. One of my favorite uh, crazy examples of this is, is Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you know her story. She tells it in The Hiding Place, which I would uh, recommend to all of you. It was great. Remarkable woman. Their family was thrown into uh, concentration camps in Nazi Germany because uh, she uh, hid Jews. And so her sister and her get to Ravensbrück. The plumbing is backed up. So there's an odor, it's filthy. They've got not really beds, they have pallets with straw on them. They're three high, so they're so low you can't sit up in bed. And they wind around the maze to find where they are. They're in a room made for four that's housing nine women. It was rancid, it was claustrophobic, and there were fleas. But they had a Bible. Her and her sister had a Bible because they weren't searched on the way in. And so her sister, Betsy, said, well, it says to thank God in all situations, and fleas are a part of this situation. So she knelt and thanked God for the fleas. That's maybe too much. 
Corey thought, to, to pray like that, but what a faith to pray like that in this discouraging place. But Scripture tells us we should pray continually, pray in all situations. And the next reason that, that we're given here is to not get discouraged. Now, these two things are related because oftentimes when we stop praying, it's not long before we spiral into discouragement. Now, this word here, discouragement, this, this carries the idea of coming to the point of failure, but it carries with it the emotional baggage of the failure, right? So the, the despair, the, the just worn out, you're burned out, you're depressed. And what helps us get out of bed every morning is hope. You need to have hope in something. And again, Paul, encouraging the Thessalonians, he, he encourages them this way. He, he talks to them about their loved ones dying, and he says they will be reunited again with them in heaven. So don't mourn without hope. Mourning is normal, it's human, and as Christians, we should do it, but we should not mourn without hope. Now, the hope he's talking about there is the hope of the resurrection. This life is not the end. So mourn, yes, but don't mourn as though you have no hope. And those with Jesus have hope. And hope, that hope then should affect our prayer life now. Do you pray with hope? Jesus is coming back, and when he does, he will restore everything, and that should give us hope now. But sometimes it's hard to make that translation. We have a job situation, or we want a promotion or a new job, and we pray, but we pray as one defeated, like we somehow don't deserve it. We don't pray with hope. We pray for maybe a marriage to get better, but you've stopped expecting God to show up. You pray for a son or a daughter to return or to overcome, but you're resigned that things will never change because you've been through it too much. I hope that's not the case for all of you, but whatever it is, the encouragement is here. Do not pray like you have no hope. Don't get discouraged. Don't pray for that job like it's not going to change, or your marriage, or your son, or your daughter, or that class, or this next phase of life like you have no hope. Pray in all situations with hope so you're not discouraged. Okay, so the message is clear. What, what does it mean? He tells us that up front. Pray in all situations with hope. Some of you might be thinking, no, at this point, okay, well, like, what, was that? what was that piece about the judge? Like, that was yeah, an odd section. Now, this actually is fairly common in Jewish thought. The argument is a lesser to greater. So the argument that Jesus is making is, if an unjust judge can give justice, how much more a perfect judge? Right? Pretty straight, right? So if you think a seven-year-old is good at throwing a football, you should see Tom Brady. <laughs> We're not saying Tom throws like a seven-year-old. We're saying... If you think the seven-year-old's good, you got to see Tom. <laughs> right? You're impressed by that. Look over here. So, so that's what is going on here, lesser to greater. So Jesus is encouraging us to pray in all situations with hope because God will bring justice for those who trust him. Now, this encouragement, I suppose, to pray with hope in all situations is only true if you believe what I just said, if you believe that God will bring justice for those who trust him. But I'll tell you, God will bring justice for those who trust him. Let me give you two reasons why this is true. First, God desires justice. Flipping over uh, to Romans here, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Now, last week, Chad talked about forgiveness. And Tim, Tim Keller adding to that in, in the reason for God puts it this way. He says, we as Christians, we can forgive and not get sucked into an endless cycle of retaliation. But forgiving is only possible because we serve a God who ultimately will settle all accounts perfectly. 
Because we as Christians believe this, we have the power to refrain from taking up the sword ourselves, from taking justice into our own hands, because God desires to bring it, and he will. Now, second, this fact allows us to pray with hope, because God hears us. Now, I could give you many verses from Old or New Testament, but let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is how the giants of faith pray, like God rewards those who seek him earnestly. And you serve a God who desires to hear, who desires to answer, who wants to be a part of that. God is not like the unjust judge who only hears when you bother him enough. God rewards those who seek him, so pray with hope in all situations. Now, although those things are true, and you may even buy that they're true, I think that sometimes we do get wrapped up thinking perhaps there is a problem with the text. And perhaps there's a problem, ultimately, with God. Let's go back to verse 8 of Luke. It starts, I tell you, he will bring justice, uh, he will bring about justice for them quickly. Now, I think it's worth spending a moment here because sometimes it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like God is bringing that justice quickly. I think two things, this sermon is in twos, I'm just now realizing. Two things from 2 Peter 3 will help us, I think, with this. First, Scripture tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but to come to repentance. So what God is doing in that time where you think he's not acting is he's graciously giving time. If you've been wronged, God might need some time to work on the heart of the person who wronged you. When we wrong other people, as I often do, when we wrong, he works on us. So we as Christians, we need to be careful that we are not offended when God extends grace to someone else and expect it for us. God is not slow because he's incapable or because he forgot, but because he's patient and he's merciful and good. Two, backing up one verse, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Now, I had about five years ago, I had shoulder surgery on this one. I've never been out before with anesthesia, but when I woke up, my wife was there, I came to in the recovery room, and the first question I said, because everybody's loopy when they come out, right? My first question was, did you finish painting the deck? <laughs> I don't know why that was my first question. My first question was, did you finish The surgery was like 45 minutes. We were at least that far from home, and she was pregnant, and we had, this was like a two-day job. Like, there's no way possible. That's a ridiculous thing to ask. But you don't know what's going on in anesthesia. So you wake up, and you blink, and it's gone. And to a day, uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. When you see Jesus, you will understand. You'll look back and go, oh, he wasn't slow. That was just a, that was just a little blip in all of eternity. Our view of time, just, it's more narrow than God's. So I'm just asking you to consider maybe there's another perspective here on time. Now, at this point, you might have another objection, which I also think is fair, to say, hold the fort. Ryan, I would very much prefer justice now. I would like my justice now <laughs> um, in this life. 
God promises to be with the righteous. That I can assure you. But he does not promise justice in this life. And I think we feel that. This world is often not fair. It's not fair, that's because that's God's design. It's not fair because sin broke it. And so we wait. We're between the two appearances of Christ. And that's actually the context of the parable that I read. So go back to, to Luke uh, 17. Luke 17, 22. This is our context. Uh, he's talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God. And he says, the days will come when you will long to see one of these days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. So the point of our parable, which is to pray in all situations and not be discouraged, is, uh, is that we live in this time between the first and the second coming. The Son of Man here is Christ. And you long for a day when all will be, all, all will be good, but for now we wait. And while you wait, don't get discouraged and pray in all situations. Now the reason we as Christians long for that day is because for us, that's a good day. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Revelation 21, 4 through 7. Christ is coming back. And when he does, you're welcome to keep reading to learn what happens to those without faith in him. But I assure you of this, there will be justice. And everything bad will be undone. Everything bad will be undone. But we're not there yet. We're here. We, we feel, I think, so far from a world where all of our tears will be wiped away and all will be made right. And we struggle. We struggle with the loss of loved ones, divorce, cancer, unfair teachers. Being a Vikings fan and watching them lose every single year, even in 1998. But that brings us to, to the so what. Let's say that you believe God does desire to hear you and you trust him to make all things right. It's still hard for us sometimes. We feel stuck because it's hard to connect those two things together. And this is, I think, why the so what is so important. One, that Jesus said this means that he knew we'd be tempted to not pray in all situations, and he knew that we'd get discouraged. And I think in some way, there's comfort in that, that Jesus is anticipating that's how we're going to behave. But there's so much more than that. Look at verse 8. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now remember, this doesn't wrap just this parable. This wraps the entire section talking about the second coming of Christ starting back in 1722. So he's really asking, where are you at? Jesus comes back right now. What does he find you doing? What should he find you doing? Now that last question, what should he find you doing? That's answered for us in the text. Go back to verse 1. He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not be discouraged. That is what Jesus expects to find us doing. Praying in all situations with hope and not getting discouraged. So here's the first thing. Praying continually and with hope is the evidence of your faith. Right? Praying with hope in all situations is the evidence 
of your faith. I assume we're all familiar with the Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Yeah. Now, I got to... <laughs> yeah, that's a lady's voice. So, um, the, <clears throat> sorry, we'll move on. His physique is evidence that he works out. You didn't wake up like that one day, right? That you pray continually and with hope is evidence of your faith. Perhaps that evidence is not as in your face as the rock's pectoral muscles, but prayers in all situations are evidence of your faith. Now, if what I just said there didn't encourage you, and it may not, you might be sitting there going, oh, well, thanks, Ryan. My faith doesn't measure up. But I'm working on it too. Right? We're all works in progress to some extent. Right? Praying in all situations with hope is evidence of our faith, but it's also the way we build faith. His physique is evidence he works out, and he works out to look like that. <laughs> Those two things are related there. So if you feel like you're not measuring up, if you feel like if Jesus came now and he wouldn't find you praying with hope in all situations, start start now. This parable is not to shame you, but it's to encourage you that it is never too late to start building your faith on the promises of God. Pray in all situations with hope and don't get discouraged. Discouragement is, I admit, something that is hard. It's, that one's hard for me, and I hate waiting. But others have waited longer. And so I'd like to encourage you. The last series Chad did before this one was the Abraham story. I'd like to step back into that story and talk about building faith in the face of discouragement. In Genesis 12, 4, God promises Abraham that he will make him into a great nation. Now, this implies children. And in verse 4, we learn, uh, sorry, it was verse 2 was the promise. In verse 4, we learn that Abraham is 75 when God makes that promise. Fairly old. But trusting God Abraham, to have children, like those of you that are over seven, like, that's great, you're doing fine. My mom is that age too. But like, you're not old, but old for children, right? But trusting God, Abraham and Sarah, they begin trying. Now, every month, you don't even have to be a biologist to, to know and understand this. Every month, something happens to Sarah. And if that thing happens, she's not pregnant. God says, we will have kids, and they try, and they fail. No problem. God didn't promise right away. He promised that we'd do it, and so they try again. Month two, nothing. Month three, nothing. How are you feeling about the promises of God? Six months, nothing. One year, nothing. Two years. This is how long my wife and I waited before we were able to finally conceive. But Sarah waited another year and another year. In another year. How do you feel about the promise of God in year five? How do you feel about the promise of God in year 10? Maybe you remember Genesis 16:2, which Chad had mentioned. It is an important turn here. It's been 10 years, and Sarah says to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And so he did. God said it, he's not doing it, let's do it ourselves, I've got an idea. That's a mistake, surely, but how long do you wait before you take things into your own hands? I think if you're like me, 
We don't wait 10 years. That's a long time before we give up on God and we stop praying and we slam forward with whatever we feel like we need. They waited 10 years. Was it a mistake? Yes, and I don't mean to minimize it, but look at the faith that they had to wait in the face of a monthly discouragement. And then you're Sarah, and Abraham tries one time with that servant, and she's pregnant, and you're still not? She shouldn't have treated her servant harshly, with contempt. But can you imagine how she must have felt? Ten years, they're waiting, and that servant first try? So they acknowledge, this is not God's way, and they continue on for another ten years. We're 20 years now. They were old when this started. <laughs> they're not getting any younger. Genesis 21.5 says that Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. 25 years. 25 years they waited. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. God. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead again, because he was an older fella, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. We're tempted to focus on that mistake in year 10. But understand what they had to go through to get to that point. That was a mistake. There were consequences, consequences that they had to live with. We're still living with today. But aside from that lapse, they tried unfaithfully, they tried faithfully, excuse me, yet unsuccessfully for 299 months. But as they say, as you all know, the 300th times the charm. (laughs) Focus on their faith in the face of discouragement. God didn't ask them for 25 years of faith on day one. They might not have had it. It's not those big moments that defines our faith. It's the daily grind. It's one day at a time, one decision at a time, one moment. And that leads to a mountain of faith. And so for me, this story is encouraging because when I get discouraged and I feel like I'm waiting, and I've been waiting a lot recently, I can tell myself, well, maybe this is a faith-building day. Maybe this is a faith-building day. And when I discourage, I can remind myself of Abraham and Sarah, and maybe I can wait a little longer. Now, let me share the secret of their waiting. I went, uh, as you know, I graduated seminary, got myself a degree, which was very great. And so I can confidently say, I have no idea. I don't know. It doesn't say. There's nothing, there's nothing in there. I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I did come away with in all of my schooling, <laughs> that I can confidently say uh, that, that I trust more firmly in the character of God. J.I. Packer puts it this way in Knowing God. One day we will stand before the king, and when we see him face to face, one day we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us, and that nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. What higher assurance do we want than that? When you see Jesus face to face, you will see that nothing he gave you, even the hard things, have diminished your joy in that moment. And that nothing he didn't give you, even if you really wanted it, 
would have increased your joy in that moment. I don't know how Sarah and Abraham felt in month 299, but what immense faith to try the 300th time. Their joy was not diminished because it took so long. If anything, their faith has grown because they went through it. I don't know what you're going through, and I pray that it doesn't take 25 years. That's not my point. But if God didn't give it to you, if you don't have it yet, you don't need it. At least not yet. That bad thing that has happened, he didn't will it, but he can use it. He can redeem it. So don't let it kill your joy and destroy your hope. Christianity does not promise you an easy life, but it does give us a Savior who enters into our suffering with us. When you stand before him, you will see the bigger picture. And we can hope now and trust in the one who's painting that picture. So here's your, here's your homework for this week. This is what I want to encourage you to do. Think of something right now that you've been praying for. Maybe something or someone that you've maybe given up on. I'm going to trust that the Spirit did something right then. And you're all thinking of something. What I want you to do is I want you to read Lamentations 3, 21 through 23 to remind yourself to pray with hope. And then I want you to pray with hope for that thing. Every day this week, remind yourself of hope and then pray for that thing with hope. I would also encourage you to enter, uh, encourage you to to share what you're praying for with someone. Life groups, as you heard, they'll start up, or uh, neighborhood groups, I think we're calling them now, uh, start up uh, September 18th. And if you're not in one, join one. That's a great opportunity to, to get connected with folks, and, and you'll have a great uh, opportunity at, uh, at September 11th at the, at the tailgate to, to get connected and get to know some, some people. Your group is a great place to share what's on your heart and ask others to join you in prayer. Enlist help. Prayer is a team sport. Let's recap. This parable means that we should pray in all situations with hope. It's true because God wants to hear you and will bring justice, and it matters because it is both the evidence of your faith and the way you build more faith. Now, we pause that Corey Ten Boom story with Betsy thanking God for the fleas. Despite the horror of that place, they ministered to women there. They read their Bible. They prayed with them. In that room, those bunks became a sanctuary of hope. As people came to faith there, the first night, there was, there was, there was cursing, and, and there was uh, every woman for themselves. And the last night, there was excuse me's and thank you's and the singing of hymns and rejoicing. That remarkable transformation took place because they practiced their faith relatively freely in that space because the guards didn't want to go in because there was too many fleas. Because of those fleas, those women led others to faith in Christ and encouraged them in a place where there was no hope at all. They prayed continually with hope in the worst of circumstances, and God showed up, and he'll show up for you too. Let's do the first day of our homework uh, together. So follow along with me, if you will, with Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore... I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray, church. God, you are good. 
And we know that you will bring justice and we know you desire to hear us. But Lord, this waiting is hard. I pray, God, for everyone here that whatever has come to mind that you, you this week, you continue to show up and to encourage us by your spirit, Lord. We need that. We need more of you. Help us to see that this week. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you more. In your son's name we pray. Amen.